Let's pray. Father, open our hearts. I believe every time we gather, you have good things in store. And Lord, it's not necessarily what I bring. It may be what other people bring. It may be what we hear in worship or what, what is read in the word. But Lord, I believe you want to speak to your people. Open our hearts to understand today. But more than that, let us be transformed by the power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you know that temptation can be a very powerful thing? Sometimes when something gets a hold of our heart, it's hard to say no. And there's a desire in us that's not necessarily given by God, and we, we just have to have or we feel like we have to have something or we'll die. And uh, some of the best stories, by the way, in the last year are coming out of Ohio. This one is out of the Huffington Post. And it's a story about an eight-year-old and his little sister and temptation. So I want you to listen. I'm going to read it. And it says, what would you do for a cheeseburger? That's the name of the title. If you're an eight-year-old boy in Ohio whose parents have already gone to bed, you might just watch some YouTube videos to teach yourself how to drive your father's car. Grab your little sister and drive to the closest McDonald's. According to the local the police, the boy got a sudden urge for a Mickey D's cheeseburger. Unfortunately, it was after he had already eaten his dinner and also after both of his parents had fallen asleep after a busy day. So naturally, he watched driving instruction videos on YouTube for a few minutes before putting his four-year-old sister in his dad's van so they could get their fix. I need to say at this time that the stories shared by the Pastor this morning do not, are not necessarily endorsed, and the behavior in these stories is not endorsed by the pastor. Let's move on. So how did he do? The young driver managed to safely get through four intersections before getting to a McDonald's drive-thru about 1.5 miles from their house. <clears throat> when they actually came through the drive-thru, employees actually thought they were being pranked, said a local patrolman who was called to the scene once it was determined the kids were there alone. The boy did figure out that what he had done was wrong and actually illegal. And when he did, he burst into tears. But both he and his sister got what they came for. They were able to eat their cheeseburgers while waiting for their grandparents to pick them up. <laughs> I don't know if that's good parenting or not. I don't know if the police were right to do that, but I guess the fact that they were alive was something to celebrate. That is, sometimes temptation will make us do things that we can't, we would never do otherwise. Temptation becomes a desire. You just have to have that. And if it's just a cheeseburger, that's not too bad, although many of us struggle with food. Food can be a big temptation. But what about sexuality? What about not forgiving somebody and keeping a hatred in our heart? What about a temptation to do something that God doesn't want us to do or we know that's wrong? Temptation can be a powerful force. So we started talking about this last week, and I just want to pick up where we left off. In James 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. How many of you want the crown of life? I do. The crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And we'll stop there. You can read the rest up there on the screen. 
I want to focus on verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Every one of us is born into this world with a dual nature. We are made in the image of God, and that's the good news. All of us have potential to be in communication with God. We are made in his image. There is something good about us. There's so, we can be like the creator, and that's, that's something good. And this is something the Christians don't always get. We talk about the sin nature, but there are good things about people. We're all made in the image of God. That's something to celebrate. Even with people that don't know Jesus, we need to affirm in them, you are made in the image of God. I like telling people about that. People want to hear good news, and that's good news. The bad news is we also have a sin nature. It was something that came to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve. It was passed down through all humanity. It's just like the DNA that gives us our characteristics. All of us essentially inherited this self-centeredness that makes us want to do things that are displeasing to God. So we have a war in us from the earliest stages. How many of you with small babies, small children or toddlers can see that war happening even before they're two years old? Isn't it true? There's a war there. And we need to train people to walk in the right things and not in the wrong things. And God wants us to learn to walk in righteousness and not in rebellion against him. This is why we need to be born again. But being born again is just the beginning. There's an ongoing process of transformation in us called sanctification, where the Holy Spirit trains us and teaches us. Now, we learned last week, God doesn't put you in temptation. God doesn't, he's not the one that's tempting you. Where does the temptation come from? Either the evil one, Satan, and his minions of darkness, demonic forces, or from our own heart. And there used to be a, on Saturday Night Live, remember Mike Myers, those of you that are old Saturday Night Live guys, could it be Satan? Remember the church lady routine that he did? Well, a lot of times it is the devil, but a lot of times we don't need the help of the devil. He just he might push a button here or there, but we run our own sin nature pretty well. We don't need the devil climbing on our shoulders. There are people who say, the devil's beating me up, and most of the time it's not the devil beating you up. It's your, your, it's your sin nature. You're battling your own heart, your own desires. And this is an issue, especially in our culture today. We're going to talk about this a little bit. So James gives us this graphic picture of temptation. He says you're literally dragged away by your own desire. You're lured away. Desire may not be overpowering at first, but if you feed it, it grows. So I've teased you at times over the years, and I've told you, you know, donuts are one of my things that I've got to be careful. I love donuts. I could eat a dozen of them real fast. But donuts are not good for Pastor Joe. <laughs> Sugar is not good for Pastor Joe. So when the donut thing comes into my head, if I sit there going Krispy Kreme, they've got 15 different kinds of donuts. They've got the ones with the sprinkles. They've got ones with the, 
And Janice, years ago, Janice went with a mission team to Cuba. And it's funny, when you go to a different country and you go to, into this country, you miss things that you can only get in the United States because there is no McDonald's and there is no this or that. And there's this guy from the South, and he goes, I love Krispy Kreme. He's, you have to say it with a Southern accent. This guy from Atlanta, remember? And, and he's just sitting there. He couldn't have it. There is no Dunkin' Donuts in Cuba. Well, there might be now. There is no Krispy Kreme in Cuba that I know of. But he was sitting there going, he was living that donut all over again. I love Krispy Kreme. Well, the same thing is true about anything that tempts you. You can begin to dwell on that, and you will strengthen the temptation until it literally, it starts out as this little guy dragging at your leg like, like this. But pretty soon, it gets bigger and bigger. If you feed that temptation, it will drag you down the hallway, and you'll end up doing something saying, how did that happen? Is it true? Come on, you're all acting like you're innocent out there. You know what I'm talking about. There, how do you deal with temptation? How do you deal with this whole thing? There is a time when we can resist temptation. You don't have to give in. Can I give you, can I give you a signal very clearly? Read Romans 6 through 8. It says we are no longer bound to sin. You're not bound to sin. If you've been born again by the power of the Spirit, you are bound to Jesus Christ. And he gives you the ability to overcome so we need to understand when we're in the midst of that temptation that God has given you everything you need to say no to the temptation. You say, I never saw it that way. And that's why you keep getting beat up and dragged away by temptation. We need to begin to say, God has given me everything I need. It also says in scripture that when temptation comes, he makes a way of escape so that we can bear up under it. We don't have to give into it. God gives you the tools that you need to be an overcomer. So don't feed the temptation or the desire will eventually conceive and give birth to sin. Now, let me make something clear here. Being tempted is not sin. I find a lot of people that say, well, you know, I'm facing this temptation and I'm weak. And they think because they're tempted that they might as well give in because they already thought the thought. By the way, do you have to do everything that comes into your head? Thank the Lord most high. There are times when I say, where did that thought come from? And surely Mike Myers is there saying, could it be Satan? <laughs> Definitely, you know. Where, where did that thought come from? Something happens and all of a sudden a murderous thought comes into your head or a lustful thought comes into your head, something, and you go, what is that? That's not necessarily you. You don't have to be defined by your temptations. But listen to what I'm going to tell you right now, because most of our society has allowed their temptations to define who they are. It's literally become their identity. There is an attitude in our world today that says, if I'm feeling this, this must be my nature. If I'm feeling this, then this must be the right way to go. If I'm attracted to this person in this way sexually, then that must be who I am. Studies show by the way, with sexuality, and we have younger ears in here, so I won't say too much. Studies show that people have all sorts of things that go through their mind sexually that they never act on. Thanks be to God. Mature people realize that you don't have to give in to temptation. If there is a design from God that God wants you to walk in, that he wants you to be steadfast in, that you don't have to give in to the ways of the world. And the world is saying, 
All right, let's say it like they said to, in, in the soda commercial. I won't mention the particular soda years ago. Obey your thirst. Think about how much advertising is telling you, by the way, to obey your thirst. Give in to what you need. Your life is not actualized if your car is more than six months old. Things could be better if you only had this product. Is it true? Years ago, when Rene Capon from Ivory Coast came to our country and spent time and did ministry in this area, we, uh, Robert Trammell got us tickets to a um, Cavaliers game. And uh, I love Robert. He, you know, he got the tickets for the uh, hotel chain that he was part of. He said, they're pretty good seats. Well, they were right behind the bench, you know, right down there in one of the lower boxes. And a bunch of us were down there. And guess who was right in front of us? Cheerleaders. Yes. And halfway through the game, I was looking at Renee, and he was just shaking his head like this. And I said, Renee, what's going on? He says, I feel so sorry for you Americans. He said, from the moment that I walked into this arena, he said, people have been trying to sell me bad things. And he said, this is your life. He said, this is what goes on day after day. You hear commercials, you see billboards, you see all these things telling you, you need this to be happy. You need this to be better. If you get this, then you're finally going to have joy in your life. Can I tell you, there's nothing out there that's going to give you joy. Only he can give you joy. It's already here. If the Holy Spirit is in you, contentment is in him. And we keep buying these lies that people tell us out there again and again. And I, Renee, Renee said he prayed for us all night after that game. He said, he said on the, the loudspeakers, if you've been to an NBA game, I hadn't been one for a long time. They used to play more basketball with more silence. Now it's just like constant music and constant ads coming at you besides the cheerleaders dancing right in front of us. I was glad my brother Ivan was in front of me blocking the way. Poor Ivan. Being tempted is not sin. But can I tell you that if you can stay out of where you are tempted, you're going to do better in your life? Can we be honest about this? A lot of times we go where we should not go. If God has delivered you from a problem with alcohol and drinking, don't tell me he's called you to share a beer and bar ministry with people at the local bar. Hello? We need to be honest with ourselves. A life of continual sin leads to spiritual and sometimes physical death. Unless we repent, we face eternal punishment. I want you to, I want you to hear the words of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 26, it says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we receive the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Those are sobering words, often not talked about among Christians. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment, a raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit 
who brings mercy back to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, I want you to know God doesn't want us to walk around with a fear that we're going to lose our salvation. But he does want us to treat with honor the covenant that we've entered into with him and not presume on the covenant of grace. So that doesn't mean that we put ourselves in places where we're going to be compromised. That also doesn't mean that you separate from the world and, and isolate yourself because you're afraid you're going to sin. But we need to be honest, and we need to be uh, very honest with our own hearts and honest with God about this. This is what being led of the Holy Spirit is all about. If we are led of the Holy Spirit, he's not going, he may lead you into places where you're going to face temptation, but if he's leading you there, he's giving you the strength to overcome. But if we go where the Holy Spirit is not leading us and we get into trouble, what we've done is we've gone in without the resources of God to help us through that situation. And this is where we need to learn to flee temptation. Okay? There are times, by the way, that we need to stand and fight. You know that there are times in spiritual warfare where we need to stand our ground. We need to rebuke the enemy. We need to take authority over the enemy and we need to fight. There are other times where you need to run away. And temptation is one of those places you can stand and fight somewhere else after you've run away. We're going to look at this in a moment. Do you know the difference? If our heart is set on the Lord and we stumble, God forgives us. I'm not saying that if we sin one time. And you've all heard me share the story about the poor lady at the Jesus Festival years ago who I heard her say, she said, I have been saved 26 times this weekend and I'm tired of it. I keep wanting to walk with the Lord and I sin. I make a mistake. And I said, what you need to know is when you stumble, you need to ask God to forgive you. But she said, don't I lose my salvation when I sin? She had this impression that somehow she was born again and she had to walk this perfect life. That's the other extreme, okay? So I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that we need to honor the Lord and honor his presence in how we live. We need to fear him and not drag the Lord into situations where, we, where he should not be. He is with us. Remember, I, I told you years ago, my Sunday school teacher taught me when I was a kid, never do anything that you couldn't do if the Lord was right there with you. And it occurred to me years later, that's bad theology, because God is right there with me. Whatever you do in your life, the Lord is with you. If you can't feel good about God being in the situation you're in, you probably need to be in a different situation. It's just real clear. And by the way, Jesus went to a lot of places where sinners were, didn't he? But he never compromised. He was, he was an, amazing, an, an amazing witness. There's a time to do that. After I first came to Christ, I was at a family wedding, and I ended up at the bar at the wedding, and our family had some pretty infamous drinking experiences. But I, I ended up talking to uncles and nephews. All the guys were hanging out there. And pretty soon I had a group of people around me sharing my testimony about how I'd come to Christ. And all these people were walking away from the bar. They were all walking out of the bar. And I, that's the way of the sway. When you can be there and do what God wants you to do, that's different than when you go and you're under the influence of the people that are there and you're falling to temptation. You get the picture. How do we resist temptation? Second Samuel, verse 11, King David did it wrong one time. David was a man after God's own heart, and he lived most of his life so wonderfully in righteousness. 
But it says in 2 Samuel 11, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite armies to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. What's wrong with this? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. In the time when kings usually go out to war, where was David? He wasn't out to war. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. When he saw Bathsheba, and I'll tell you, one of the most impressionistic pictures I have of Israel and being in Israel is being in the city of David. They're excavating that whole area, and they are finding things week by week. They're finding new things uh, there from that whole place. But we are standing out on the porch there, and our guide, Abraham, said, if you look over in the valley, he said Bathsheba's house was somewhere down there. And David probably would have been standing right about here. He said, we're down to the level now where uh, it was in David's time. This was probably the ports that he overlooked into the valley there. The right thing to do at that particular moment was what? When David saw Bathsheba, the temptation was not the problem. He should have immediately gotten his armor, gotten one of his warriors to accompany him and say, it's time to go out to battle. But he didn't, did he? And this is where the temptation gives way, and we begin to cooperate with that temptation. It's usually one step after another that leads us to that place where sin becomes active. He could have said no at so many places. And then I want you to see what else happened in the life of David. But I I want to share a story with you that happened to me back in 2004. 2004, I was taking a day off, and heard a knock on the door and I showed up there was a guy with a helmet on and um, it was uh, one of those safety helmets and he had uh, tree stuff on whatever and he said I I just want to let you know he said we're going to be trimming uh, the trees behind your house with the electric lines there he said by the way did you know that it was your electric lines that go back behind your house that caused the 2003 uh, blackout over the entire eastern U.S. and I said my lines You mean I could have snipped those and put everybody in the dark if I wanted to? 80 million people from Montreal all the way down to Washington, D.C., my electric lines. You ever want to feel powerful? So those lines go back up behind on Chamberlain Road. And if you go on Chamberlain Road in Twinsburg there, you'll see uh, there's a major substation there. What happened is it was a hot day in the summer in 2003. And because they were using so much energy on the East Coast, they started buying power from us because it's cheaper in the Midwest. Things got so overheated that the lines toward Chamberlain Road began to sag. The wires literally began to melt. And one, actually it was just one breaker after another started going off and it literally shut down. It started a cascading effect that shut down the whole East Coast. My electric lines. Still can't get over it. By the way, where we're moving is actually closer to that substation, so I'm not moving far from there. What does that have to do with King David? One sin rarely is alone. Sin's usually like company. And lust turns to adultery, and adultery leads to murder. Murder leads to lying covering up 
and you look at the sins of David to the point where David's heart is so much obscured by what he did that when Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him the story, he doesn't see himself in the story. And Nathan looks at him and says, but you're the man. And that's scary to me because I think if David's David's a mightier leader than I'll ever be. And I think, am I ever going to be at the place where I don't see my own sin? May God forgive. May God forbid that. But I want to ask you, what about in your lives? We realize how one temptation can lead to another. And before you know it, there's darkness everywhere. One key person like David could be taken out. And guess what happened? The whole country paid the price. Eventually, I think it was 70,000 people died in a plague. Do you realize how far that cascading effect went? A lot of innocent people suffered because one leader made a mistake. And the higher the stakes, the higher the leader, the higher the chance of there being a cascading effect from that. How will it affect your marriage? And you need to think this when you're under temptation. When I was a young Christian, I, for a while there, I, just, I had this thing where anytime I was feeling tempted, tempted, wherever I was, I would get on my knees and I would pray, which looked kind of funny probably to other people. But it was very effective for me. But I just would get on my knees. You know, wherever I was, I would get on my knees and I would say, Lord, help me. And I want you to help me with this temptation. But we need to think about the consequences. There are often long, very clear consequences. Joseph, by the way, did it right. In Genesis 39, he fled from Potiphar's wife. It says in Genesis 39, 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of her house. I love what Matthew Henry's commentary says, better to lose a coat than a conscience. So you can imagine, here's this mighty man, Joseph, this leader, running naked out of the house or in his underwear out of the house. And unfortunately, and this lady wouldn't leave him alone. I'm not blaming Joseph. But if you can get out with your clothes, try to do it, okay? Is it true? Run from anything. 2 Timothy 2, 22-24. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living. And there's a principle here that I want you to hear. You don't just run away from, you run to. You run from the temptation, but you run toward God. He says it here. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship on those who call with the Lord out of pure hearts. In other words, the people you hang out with are going to have an influence with you. You need to be with people that are going to share the same heart that you have for the Lord. Again, I say don't get involved in foolish arguments. And he goes on, he's talking about, in a larger context, the temptation to get off into religious things instead of the spirit, things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians six eighteen also says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's not enough to run from temptation. We need to run to God. Are we serious in removing the source of temptation from our lives? Are we serious about that? Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, we often don't understand this scripture and what Jesus is talking about here, but he uses hyperbole. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And by the way, the next time you look at somebody with lust, you need to think they're a person with a destiny from God. They're a person who's called by God who has worth in their sight. They're a person who has brothers and sisters and a mom and a dad. And this goes for pornography, too. I know a lot of people are hooked by pornography. Those people in the pictures, those people in the DVDs, those people in the uh, online, wherever you see it, every one of them has an eternal destiny. I've had guys tell me, I can't get out of my mind some of the pictures I looked at. You need to start praying for those people. Guess what? The devil will stop putting those pictures in your head. You start praying for those, the, the images of people that you saw and say, Lord, forgive me for ever sinning against that potential sister or brother in the Lord. I want to pray for them for their eternal destiny. Changes your perspective, doesn't it? You start praying for the people that you're tempted by. And it changes. And this is a word for some of you today that are caught in pornography. That's going to that's gonna be the thing that breaks it. When you start praying for people and realize, the Lord's telling me not, not to move on, so I'm just going to share this. Do you know one of the sins of pornography that people don't talk about? It's idolatry. It's self-centeredness at a level that we can't even imagine. If we think people exist for us, who is our God? Us. If we think people exist for us, their image, who they are, what they have, exists for us, God is not on the throne of our lives. The Lord is saying to some people in here, he's been giving you the tools and he's saying it's time. You need to deal with this. You keep going back and you keep going back. When you finally get my perspective, you're not going to go back anymore. When you feel my heart and when you have my perspective, you won't go back. I feel this so strongly. The Lord is speaking to some today about this. In Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus said, you've heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it would be better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Is Jesus telling you that you should mutilate your body? No. What he's saying is you need to be so desperate about removing temptation from your life that you're willing to do anything. And the problem is, is that a lot of times we play games and we're not really serious about eliminating that temptation from our life. It could be the temptation to be angry at people. And I don't want, it's not just about sexuality here. It's whatever causes you to stumble. The Lord is saying we need to be so committed to do that, so serious about doing that. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Are you willing to eliminate that part of your life? I'm going to finish with this, and we'll do part three. Not next week, because I have a resurrection message I want to share with you next week, but we'll talk about that. Mike Riches, the guy that first began 
Mike and uh, Brian Brennan put together the Freedom Manual and Living Free. We'll be changing the name of that, by the way, because there's a copyright battle going on over who came up with that. There's another ministry that used Living Free, and they're trying to work that out, so we can't even buy new manuals, but we're working it out. It doesn't matter what it's called. What matters is is that we obey and we, and we press into it. Mike said he had a guy, that a young man, that came to their church, and his problem was pornography. And after a year of going through the living free and being part of the church, he came up to Mike and he said, I'm really mad at God. I've got to tell you, he said, I, I, I just can't get over this problem. And I'm beginning to think this is just a part of who I am. We just had a mayor from Indiana say that not too long ago in a conversation with Mike Pence. This is who I am. We're living in a world where people are saying, these are the desires I have. I can't change them, so this is who I am. I'm going to embrace them wholeheartedly. Folks, we're in a very dangerous place in our culture right now. Because I want to tell you, it's not going to stop with the passions that we're in. I'll get back to the story in a minute. It's not going to stop with the passions that we're in. There are a whole group of people that have their eyes on children. That's all I'm going to say. And I've got to tell you that they are not, we're not stopping with one thing. They want to go until there are no laws left in all society. It's called anomia, lawlessness. Who's the Antichrist? He is the lawless one. Spirit of Antichrist is lawlessness. So this guy that came up to Pastor Mike, Mike said, when, we, when you first came to the church, he said, we told you that you needed to get rid of that computer that you had you didn't need a home computer and you should just have the one with a filter on it work. Did you get rid of the computer? And he put his head down and he said, no. And he said, you were telling me too that you, when you drove through the red light district, it was hard for you. And I told you to take a different route to work. Did you do that? The guy said, no. And I told you to get rid of your picture phone, your, your smartphone. And I told you to get a dumb phone, a flip phone that you couldn't have. They had no pictures on it because it would save you money and you wouldn't be tempted to access pictures like you had. He said, did you get me? Let me look at your phone. He said, no, I still have the iPhone. Mike said, how can you indict God when you have not been serious in obeying the Lord and fleeing temptation? God has all the power to give you, but we lie to ourselves sometimes and we lead ourselves. We follow our own desires into temptation and then we get taken out by the enemy and we say, how can I be so weak? So we need to be honest with ourselves and obey the Lord. Let me finish with this. We want to be disciples and followers of Jesus. We focus on the Great Commission, and it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to every nation. And often we stop there. But what is the rest of it? Teaching them to obey everything I commanded them talks about baptizing and whatever, but it says teaching them to obey everything. You, if you're a disciple when you're born again, but you need to learn to obey him. That's part of being a disciple. And I feel like this is what the Lord is saying to us. We're going to go on. We'll talk more about temptation in a couple weeks. But can we just bow our heads this morning? I really feel like the Lord is speaking to a number of people. And as I've been sharing with you this morning, the Lord has put his finger on different areas of your life. The point of obedience this morning is being honest enough with God and say, God, I've been lying to myself and I've been lying to you and I've even been lying to others. 
and I need to be honest about overcoming in this area of my life. I've been stuck here too long. I'm not going to ask anybody to share what it is. That's not my desire. This is between you and God. But I'm going to ask you this morning, if you are fighting a battle and you need help right now, it could be the temptation to judge others. It could be holding on to unforgiveness. It could be all sorts of things. But how many of you would say, I just need God's help right now, and I need to be honest? I need to be honest. Can we all stand together? Can we just all reach out? Those of you that raised your hands, just reach out to the Lord right now. I want to lead us in a prayer, and if you can pray this with me, this is for those that raised their hands, but maybe it would be good if all of us prayed it. Can we just pray this together? Heavenly Father, forgive me for lying to myself, for lying to you, even lying to others, not being honest about temptation. Father, I've allowed things in my life that you did not endorse. You've even warned me by your Holy Spirit. And I have not listened to you. Father, forgive me for grieving your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for sinning against you. Help me, Lord, in this world that's so full of temptation. Show me the way, God. Show me how to walk away from these things. Give me the courage to make decisions. To walk away from things that grieve your heart. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Can we just begin to praise the Lord? Hallelujah. We bless you, God. We give you praise, Lord, because you give us all that we need to overcome temptation. You give us the strength to say no. You give us the strength to walk forward in victory in you. Lord, I just pray that in the individual things that you're speaking to hearts right now, God, that you would just confirm in each one of us, God, those obedience points that you're calling us to. Help us, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.